of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent Biz talking Hawkeye football and basketball with you as we put a cap on the regular season. We're off last week and back at it after the Big Ten championship game and a basketball team that we were excited about has tilted back the other way after three consecutive losses. Hope is not lost, Biz. We're uh, still bringing some positive vibes here to the podcast this week, but away last week kind of had a, a weird and Interesting week, to say the very least. A lot of working from home last week, but ready to roll here. How are you doing? Good. You know, it's been an interesting uh, interesting couple weeks. You know, we talk about it a lot. Things are never boring as an Iowa fan. You get lots of, uh, lots of ups and lots of downs, and last week was a perfect example of it. You got to see a uh, football team get destroyed on a national spotlight, the basketball team get embarrassed by uh, the clones, but then you also got to see us bring in probably the, the biggest recruit and you know, probably at least the last decade or maybe even longer. But, uh, you know, like I said, Iowa fan, never boring, Trent. You get lots of a uh, – just hop on the roller coaster and enjoy the ride, I guess. That is what it is, Biz. And, uh, well, a rough week in sorts. And certainly let's uh, first look back at the Big Ten Championship game. You were there in Indy. I was disappointed I wasn't able to make the trip over. I'll tell you, Biz – even as the game was unfolding and it ends up 42-3, to I was still mad I wasn't there. Just before we even get into the game, though, that environment for people that haven't gone to the two championship game experiences, it's just it's such a great time. And I'm sure the buildup there, Michigan there for the first time, I'm sure the buildup leading into the game was an incredible experience. It was. And, you know, even knowing, even knowing that we lost 42-3, to I would certainly do it all over again. And obviously if we uh... – are lucky enough to make it to Indy again in the future, I will be there again. It, it is a, an absolute – Indy's just a fun town in general. The atmosphere is great. Lucas Oil is phenomenal. You know, it's just – it's a fun, fun experience. And, you know, obviously 42-3 to 3 sounds brutal, but, you know, it, it sounds weird to say in a 42-3 game, we had our chances in that game. We had plenty of chances in that first half to make it a ball game or, or even be ahead at the half. I mean – we uh, we talk about it all the time, Trent. Iowa is a, a team that the margin of error is very small. And against Michigan, the margin of error is incredibly small. And, you know, we just didn't uh, – we made way, way too many mistakes in the first half and uh, didn't take advantage of – you know, I thought Michigan played – you know, they were not that great of a team in the first half. No. I, I thought uh, especially uh, McNamara, I thought he was pretty shaky in the first half. We just didn't take advantage of it. I thought – you know, once we got the interception, I thought maybe we would, would put some points on the board, make it a ball game, and we, we just never got around the corner. And then the second half, obviously, the wheels fell off. But, uh, you know, it says a lot about the Iowa offense when the first drive, the moment uh, the moment that pass sailed over Pottybaum's head as he was stumbling, uh, our whole group kind of looked at it and said, well, there was our shot. Uh, you know, we, 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 we took our shot at the first – possession and uh, when it didn't work you kind of got the feeling that oh no that, that was uh that was our opportunity and we let it slide by and unfortunately that was was all too true really was opportunities were there i didn't have to play a perfect game but they had to play a clean game and even you know the missed field goal after the missed opportunity it just it, it was one of those days it just wasn't i was way these two teams play again it's not going to be 42 three they're not 39 points better than iowa but they're also better than iowa and, and i don't think there's any way that you can slice it so 
Big picture with the Iowa football and the frustrations that unfolded after the game. Offensive woes once again. Went with two quarterbacks. Neither really did a whole lot. And what this offense has been this year. You look at analytical numbers. Look at what this team really should have been. Even with an elite defense and elite special teams, this really should have been a 7-5 and five team. So does that galvanize the thought process of Kirk Ferentz and, hey, we can do these things and still win 10 games? Or do you believe that Kirk is going to look at that and understand that this offense needs to change? It needs to evolve. It needs to do things in a different way to get to a level, to even be average to help with the defense and special teams that have been so good. I think he'll make some changes. I mean, I, you know, it's kind of the, the old tired narrative that, that Kirk doesn't change. When, when Honestly, I think he has been pretty willing to, to try different things and be a little more flexible. And, you know, we've certainly been more aggressive on, on fourth downs in the last five, six years. And we've, you know, we've tried to be more creative on offense. It hasn't always worked. But, you know, I, I think – they're not dumb. I mean, I think they, they look at it and they realize, you know, this year was a disappointment on offense. I mean, I think everybody, you know, the fact of the matter is our offensive line just wasn't very good this year. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the Twitter account of, I can't remember the guy's name now, but uh, he broke down 15, 20 plays of that game and really broke down the Iowa offense, offensive line. And it showed, you know, I think I, I think I sent the one, the first play of the game, we blocked it absolutely perfectly on a run play, except Mason Richmond just literally tripped and fell, just face planted, like didn't touch anybody. And we had a wide open cutback lane that would have been for 10 or 15 yards, but he doesn't touch anybody and it's a two-yard carry. And that happened a lot. I mean, he really broke it down and made you realize, you know, just how bad our offensive line was mm-hmm. and how, how many plays, you know, were there for the taking and could have been eight, 10 yard gains and somebody just gets destroyed and makes it a one yard gain. So, you know, I think that's where it starts more than anything. We got to figure out the offensive line trend. You and I have, you and I have talked about probably too much over the years. Sure. The narrative that Iowa has a good offensive line needs to change. We haven't mm-hmm. had a good offensive line, We've had good offensive line men, but we haven't had a good offensive line in years. It's infuriating to me that a team that's supposed to be, this great offensive line factory can't put together a consistent offensive line. And to me, that's, that's number one, you know, whatever we need to fix that, that's the, uh, we, we need to make some changes or figure out some different things on the O line. Cause whatever we're doing just isn't working consistently. You know, you look at the zone blocking scheme and that's a part of it. And I can't remember if I brought it up here on the podcast or radio and talk about courses, football team so much in different avenues, biz, but the change in the blocking rules that went into effect a couple of years ago, I don't know enough about offensive line to know if it made an impact, but you have to assume with zone blocking, there's more cut blocking involved. And as that has dissipated and flags have been thrown and they've had to adjust and adapt to the new rules that have been put in place in college football, you know, how much that has impacted Iowa football and the offensive line the last couple of seasons and not being able to do things the same way. You have to, at the very least, assume you can still do zone blocking. It's not like you have to completely go away. And really, that's the identity of Kirk Ferentz and Iowa football. You don't have to completely throw it out, but you have to adapt more. You have to change more. That outside zone play, it's dead from the start seemingly all season long. You went 13 games with one of your staples of your offense, and you just you couldn't even run it. Even with a, defensive, a decent offensive line, I think that's been the case so often anymore. 
it's a restructuring that needs to go into effect. And and here's the other thing. I believe enough in Kirk Ferentz and what he can do with the offensive line that he can change on the fly here and adjust and still be able to put together a good product. But what they're doing right now, it just doesn't work anymore, it feels. Well, the other thing, I think we talked about this in our text thread as well, but I think it was Cody Hills, the guy that does those simulations. Yeah. And looked and found what was it? Eighty-seven percent of the time, if we get to second and ten, we're running the ball. And it's, it's always been kind of a running joke of our group that if if we uh, pass on first down and it's incompletion, we might as well punt on second down mm-hmm. because we're basically screwed. Because I mean, it's basically first and ten to second and ten to third and nine to punt. I mean, it's I mean, and that not you know he went and actually did the work and dug into it and looked and I mean. He talked about it. Michigan was run blitzing on every second and ten because they know we're going to run the ball on second and ten because we're, you know, <laughs> that's just our tendency. So some of those things, I really hope our coaching staff, they have to look at some of those things and be like, wow, we've got to, you know, we've got to play against tendencies a little better and we've got to self scout a little better because that that's that's embarrassing to to have the numbers skewed that much where Michigan was able to just say, we know what's coming and you know. It, Prove us wrong, and we never do. We don't prove them wrong. I mean, when you're when you're that obvious and that predictable in those situations, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're not gonna you're not gonna push Michigan around enough that when they know what's coming, you're in trouble. And we saw that all day long. I mean, how many two yard runs did we have? I mean, mm-hmm. we, and honestly, I liked our game plan against Michigan. I, I I liked the fact that we tried to run early. I liked the fact that we you know tried to you know we tried to establish the run. But then, you know, and I loved our play action often early in the game. But then once they adjusted and they realized, well, here's what we're doing on play action, and they took that away, we were screwed. We yep. didn't have any uh, – we, we didn't have plan B. I mean, right. once, we, uh, once they shut down plan A, we were out of luck. And that's, you know, we talk about it all the time. Phil Parker is the master of in-game adjustments. And, you know, he's unbelievable at figuring out what – the teams want and then taking it away from a mid game. And, and I feel like that happened way too many times to our offense this year that people just figured out, okay, okay, here's what they're doing and take it away. And we don't adjust. And, and that's, I don't know. I mean, I think you and I probably were smart enough to know Brian Ferentz is probably going to be here next year. Mm-hmm. So if he's going to be here, he better uh, talked about it before. Brian Ferentz seems to have a big ego. He needs to swallow his ego a little bit and, uh, do some self-scouting and learn a little bit. If he doesn't, then we're, we're probably going to be having the same conversation next year. Right. You're exactly right. I don't see any change happening. There's going to be no Brian moving on to another job. He's going to be there, and he's going to be the offensive coordinator and dig his heels in. What's the identity of this Iowa offense? What ultimately is Brian Ferentz trying to do? It's not a power run game that we see, certainly with Wisconsin, the, the spread elements that we have. There's no running game that goes along with it. There's just There's so many parts of it that just seem – mismatch it in a way it feels like a guy just out there playing Madden or NCAA football on his Xbox it there's no rhyme or reason to it that it just there's no fluidity and for every positive game that we mentioned the holiday bowl against USC the 2017 Ohio State game which were great game plans and they worked very well you said it biz what's plan b if it's not going right it never seems the adaptability that they have offensively just never seems to be there and and after those structured plays early on, too, I just don't think he's a very good play caller. I don't know ultimately what he's trying to be as an offensive coordinator. That seems like it's a problem. 
Well, I saw something that we were like 115th in the nation in first quarter drives, like first drives. Mm. So obviously our scripted plays are terrible also. I mean, we're not, when's the last time we took the ball, went down the field and put a touchdown on the board right away? I mean, the Indiana game I think was the only time, and that was because we, what, 60-yard run. There, I can't remember the last time we put together a 12-play, 75-yard drive right off the bat and that everything worked well. I mean, it's just, I mean, the closest was Michigan. <laughs> we got close. I mean, we, we, uh, we put together a nice drive. We did everything right. And then, you know, the one thing, we, the, the trick play doesn't quite click, and all of a sudden we're missing a field goal. So it's, it, there's, a lot, there's a lot of frustration, and we could, we could waste all day talking about that, Trent. But let, let's, uh, like you said, positive vibes. Let's, let's step back and take a big-picture look at this team and – you know, just Iowa sports in general. It's been a really, really good year for, for Iowa sports and, and the Iowa football team. You know, I mean, we can complain all we want, but 10-3 and three is 10-3, and three and, and it was a fun year and a heck of a lot of positives to take out of this year. Really was, and you look at uh, so many of those positives. Ultimately, it didn't end in a national championship for everything short of wrestling, so there's going to be certainly avenues of disappointment. So what path are we going to go as we look back in memory lane in the season that was uh, where are we starting first? Well, I think if you remember a year or two ago, Stat Boy had looked into kind of AP rankings and how rare it is for, you know, everything to click at the same time as far as Iowa football, Iowa basketball, women's basketball, and wrestling. And, you know, it's interesting. I had him kind of dig back into that again. Guess, guess when the last time in the same calendar year, so the 2001 calendar year, Iowa wrestling won a national title and both the football team and men's basketball team ended the year ranked in the same calendar year. When was the last time that happened before 2021? 1987. That's a good guess, but it's actually wrong. And the shocking reason why is the uh, wrestlers did not win the national title that year. They, that was uh, the year they missed, huh? Yeah, well, they, they, it's amazing. They won the national title every year from 78 to 86. Then they had a, a quote-unquote slump for a few years and then won it every year from 91 to 2000. So uh, there's a four-year gap in there where they didn't win it. But uh, So you have to go back 40 years, Trent. 1981, Jeez. the year that Iowa went to the Rose Bowl and, and the basketball team went to the Final Four, that, that's the last time that uh, you can say that. So you know, the year we just had doesn't happen all that often. To, to have all three of those things fall in place at the same time, a, a good football team, a good basketball team, and obviously a – a national champion wrestling team. So, you know, and to even have two or three of those spots fall in place doesn't happen very often. It's only the fifth time since 81 that the football and men's basketball team both ended ranked. So uh, it's it's rare. I mean, obviously part of that is because basketball's had some brutal, brutal years in there. But, uh, you know, it's – we, have, we we can complain all about Brian Ferentz and the offense all we want, but every once in a while it's good to step back and say, man, uh, you know, Iowa athletics is in a pretty good place right now. And we'll still complain, and that's kind of what we do, but you're right. When you look at things big picture, very successful season in Iowa athletics. Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier we talked about Xavier Wampa, his commitment to Iowa, Iowa recruiting in general. Going to be a small class this year, not going to – really rise up the rankings of you know the rivals and the 24-7 rankings overall when you look at classes. But Xavier Wampa, a guy that they closed the gap with, uh, I know, leading into the season, 
The Penn State game pushed it over the edge, but a five-star and a five-star that took a while to get the commitment. This feels a little bit different than uh, A.J. Epinesa, obviously a legacy guy, going back to Bone Crusher, Kyle Williams, and and those kind of stories. This one just feels a little bit different, uh, getting him to make his commitment. He'll officially sign tomorrow. Yeah, you know, the rumors in the 24 to 48 hours leading up to his commitment were all leaning towards Iowa, and it was just one of those things where you know, I felt like it was going to be the, uh, the, the Charlie Brown uh, pull the football out the last minute and, and whiff. Uh, you know, as an Iowa fan, you're just kind of – you're kind of used to being close in those situations, but coming up, uh, coming up second. And, you know, the big thing is, I mean, obviously it's great to have him, but I just think, you know, you've already seen – uh, I'm assuming you saw the, the picture of the, the three other D-backs and him that were there this weekend, and it sounds like at least two, maybe all three of those, are going to commit to Iowa tomorrow as well. So, I mean, just the the dominoes of having him there um, are, are, are going to be huge, I think. It's just you know, having that name recognition and being able to, to – to have him go out and recruit for Iowa is going to help. And now, obviously, the big question is, can we can we keep him here? Because as, as we've seen you know, from Iowa State and, and Iowa and other places, I mean, recruiting is truly the the wild, wild west right now. It's uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming you've probably talked about it on your show and everything. But, you know, to me, I think this recruiting – what's going on with recruiting and the craziness of Transfer Portal, I think – can really be helpful for Iowa going forward. I just think our stability and our willingness to, to be a developmental program and, and, and not jump too much into the portal or make that our livelihood, you know, I, I think it can level the playing field for, for teams like Iowa that, that stay, you know, stay the course and don't, don't overreact on some of these things. So, you know, I, are, are we going to end up being Alabama? No, but can we, can we close the gap a little bit on some schools? I think we can. Yeah, and you look at your brethren across the Big Ten West, and really that's what it is anymore. I feel like they're in really good shape. Nebraska's a tire fire. Phil Fleck, who knows what's going to happen there. He loses that offensive line that led them to what they were this season. Wisconsin is milk toast. is going to get Illinois better, certainly, but what kind of heights are they going to get to? You, you just look around and you say, Iowa Stills in a really good spot. It was disappointing that it took this long after 2015 to get back to Indianapolis. But I just have a feeling the way this program is going and looking towards that positive nature of things, it's not going to be another six years before we're back in Indy. I, I hope you're right. My biggest concern is, Trent, until we find a quarterback. Yes. It's hard to – you know, the fact of the matter is, Trent, we saw two quarterbacks at Indy, and neither one of them are very good. No. I mean, you no. and I, you and I have bickered back and forth all year <laughs> on who should start, who should play, you know, what 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 should happen. Let's just be honest about it, Trent. They're not neither one of them are very good quarterbacks. Yeah, we can agree on that. We we they're, you like Petrus more than I do. I like Padilla more than you do. But ultimately, neither of them are good enough to take that final step. And, and I'm, you know, I, I was a Spencer Petrus apologist for a long time, and just. I really thought he would take a step forward this year, and he clearly did not. He either took a step sideways or even a step back. And, you know, that's it's something we've seen with Iowa quarterbacks in the past is, unfortunately, they don't seem to get a lot better in year two or even three as a starter. And, you know, I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but, you know, it, it's it's been frustrating. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with the quarterbacks. 
I'd love for them to take a look at the transfer portal, but I think you and I know that probably isn't going to happen. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is until, until we find a quarterback that's better than what we have right now or, perform, or one of those two just steps up and performs better, we're always going to be struggling offensively. You just College football is a, is a quarterback-driven game right now, and right now we don't have one. All right, let's go down this route. And quick question. First of all, we'll see what happens this spring with the quarterback position and how that goes. But you look through the transfer portal right now, and there are dudes all over the place. From Keaton Slovis, who just announced yesterday, Bo Nix, Max Johnson of LSU, Miles Brennan of LSU, another one, Zach Calzada from Texas A&M. There are all kinds of names out there. Two of Iowa's best players this year. Best defensive lineman, Van Volkenberg. Best special teamer and Charlie Jones. Those guys were transfers. Do you think Iowa even sniffs around? Are, are they willing to even go down the path of looking for a quarterback in the transfer portal? I think they would if a quarterback jumped into the transfer portal that they're already familiar with. If it was somebody they recruited coming out of high school mm-hmm. and somebody they have a prior relationship with, yeah, I think they would. But I don't think – I mean, my guess, and this is purely a guess, is, is that they have no relationship or connection to people like Keaton Slovis or right. you know, Max Johnson. And, and I think they're smart enough to know that that's a, a waste of an effort and a waste of their time and energy sure. to do those types of things. So – you know, I don't know. I don't know. If maybe they do have a connection with one of those people. I think. I think if they had a connection with somebody, yes, they would. But I don't think. You know, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. No, I, I think you put it right though, Biz. No, if yeah, if there was something there, you know, Max Johnson, obviously Brad Johnson's his dad. I don't know. You know, if their paths cross with Kirk in the NFL, anything like that, that would be a starting point. But. You're right. Keaton Slovis, that dude was a four-star when he was 14 years old. Iowa knew this guy's not going to Iowa. We're not even wasting time. There's no relationship. But if there is a relationship with one of those names, I think that's a fair way to put it. But, yeah, they're just not going to jump in. I'm going to guess there weren't a whole lot of phone calls between the Iowa staff and Spencer Rattler. Yeah, exactly. And the thing, the way I look at it, I mean, like I said, I'm, I like the fact that we're not digging deep into the transfer portal and trying to – create a new team every year. I mean, I, I, I appreciate the fact that we're selective in the transfer portal. And I think that's probably our philosophy with every position is, if, you know, if we, if we can better ourselves and we can, you know, if we have a relationship with a guy that's in the transfer portal and we, we realistically think he'll come here, then I think we're probably pretty aggressive in those situations. I just, there, there hasn't been a quarterback in the transfer portal that's popped up that I've been like, Ooh, I think that someone we're realistically going to get, right. but Again, that's just me guessing. Also, I, you know, I, I, I think in the end, I'd be very, very surprised if we end up bringing in a quarterback in the transfer portal. I just, I don't see that happening. Last thing on football, and it is a goodbye. Tyler Goodson will not play in the Citrus Bowl as he'll get ready for the NFL. And also, Tyrone Tracy has announced that he has entered the transfer portal. A lot of connections with him and maybe uh, his home state team and Purdue. With the Boilermakers, two guys that disappointments at times, I think, overall with the way their careers went. People maybe at times anticipated a little bit more. But, Biz, this one, two guys that were important parts of the program after what they went through, certainly last summer. Well, I think the Iowa fan base 
should be giving a absolute huge thank you to both of those guys. It's like you said, Tracy. I mean, fat matter was Tracy was a disappointment. He just he didn't do. I mean, I think everybody kind of thought he was going to be the next big thing, and, and he certainly wasn't. You know, to call Goods the disappointment, I think, is unfair. Was he? Did he advance and get better? I don't know, not necessarily, but but he did a lot of good things. But to me, the reason those two should be thanked is for what they did off the field, yeah. especially Tyler Goodson. It, it, uh, to me, Tyler Goodson is somebody that he could have he could have helped nuke this program twelve months ago. If it, it, it would have been very easy for him last year in the middle of a pandemic with all the racial things going to just say, I'm out uh, and I'm, you know, I'm gone. And I think if he goes, that's probably a domino where, where multiple other people go. And instead he and his family did just the opposite. His, you know, you know, his mom was very active on social media. She was nothing but positive. You know, she was very vocal about the fact that they were supportive of the coaching staff and believed that the coaching staff would take the right steps to, to get things you know, to write the ship and, and they did. And, you know, I don't think we're in this situation. We're certainly not talking about a big 10 championship game. And I think we're talking about a totally different program in general. If Tyler Goodson makes a different decision to 12, 18 months ago. So, you know, and same with Tyrone Tracy. I just think Tyrone Tracy was obviously a very vocal leader. He was somebody that, that spoke up and by all accounts was one of the, the people that really, you know, spoke up last year and, and, and said his piece and was a leader on and off the field. And both of those two, they could have made things a lot worse for this program. And instead by staying and, and doing what they did, I think they, uh, they saved this program in some ways. And we, we've talked about it in the past. I mean, this program, I think is in a better position right now than we ever could have imagined 12, 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we all were worried that this was going to be <laughs> a real mess. And because of people like, like Goodson and Tracy, it hasn't been. So thanks to both of them. I know they obviously don't listen to our podcast, but uh, <laughs> they, they deserve a, a huge thank you from everybody, and, and I'll, I'll lead the way. So thank you to both of those two for uh, being great hawks and, and, and great examples of what our program hopefully strives to be now and in the future. Biz, uh, before we get out of here, let's talk a little basketball. The Hoopsters uh, talked about it earlier that – just pitiful effort against Iowa State. Getting blown out is one thing, but effort was disappointing. The rebounding, three consecutive losses. There were some positives coming out of the Purdue game, playing without Keegan. Illinois, disappointing, sure, but more than anything, just the effort against Iowa State. There's going to be nights that you're not shooting it well. That was the disappointing aspect to me in the loss to the Clones. Yeah, part of me says just flush that one and move on. I mean, that- Whoever built the schedule for Iowa basketball should be fired. I mean, we've talked about it all the time, Trent. You, your biggest pet peeve is, you know, all the cupcakes at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Which I don't have that big of a problem with it. But then to go from cupcakes to playing the number one team on the road to a really physical team at home to your rival on the road all within – Six days. Yes, it's just—it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Iowa State game—I I couldn't fathom why we were favored going into that game. Mm-hmm. I think I, I anticipated it was going to be ugly, and unfortunately, it was even uglier than I, I thought it was going to be. But honestly, it doesn't surprise me that we got our butts kicked at Iowa State. It was a perfect storm of events, and I, I'm still—you know. 
there's a lot of things to worry about this team, but I don't know. I, I think this team will battle back and, and you know, are they going to win the Big Ten? Absolutely not. Are they going to make the NCAA tournament? Probably not. But I think they'll scrap and they'll, they'll, they'll be in the discussion the whole year. So the problem right now, obviously knows about, everybody knows about the rebounding. It's not good. Mm-hmm. The shooting is the thing that really scares me. I mean, uh, this team just can't shoot the basketball right now. You look yeah. at the numbers. I, I did some quick math here. You know, it's pretty amazing. Over the last, you know, Patrick McCaffrey shooting 25% for three on the year. Keegan shooting 22% over the last four from three-point range. Sanford 22% over the last four. Mm. Tucson one three over the last six games. Euless three threes on the year. Connor McCaffrey two for 14 on the year from three. Chris Murray 0 for six in the last two games from three. And Jabo three for 12 in the last three from three. I mean that's just across the board terrible shooting. And if we can't shoot the basketball, we're in trouble. So. You know, the, the fact that we shot terrible and we rebounded terrible and we were still in the game at Illinois, and, and you know, credit to us for, for fighting. So, you know, the Iowa State game was bad, but I think at some point you just flush it and say, you know, it, it is what it is and move on. So, I don't know. I still, I, I still think this team can be competitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Expectations were probably a little skewed after that 7-0 start and probably weren't fair. But, uh, you know, they'll be, they'll be all right, Trent. They'll be all right, yeah. They're, they're going to be a bubble team. This is what it's going to be. There's going to be stretches where they look awful. There's going to be a week where you say, God, this team is brutal, and there's going to be times that they're going to pull an upset, and they're going to beat somebody, you know, another average-type team, and they're going to throttle them and say, oh, look at this team. That's what being a bubble team is all about. Really good offensively, really bad defensively. This is a Fran McCaffrey team, as you'd anticipate. But don't overlook Saturday against Utah State. Really good Utah State team uh, coming up over in South Dakota. Should be a tough one, and Probably one that's going to come down to the wire. Then two cupcakes. Though the Leathernecks are playing a little bit better this season before Big Ten play starts up. Here's the thing that is concerning if you talk about being on the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble. Already obviously 0-2 in the Big Ten. You look at the final two games, Michigan, Illinois, both on the road. Even with Michigan struggles, you put those two down as L's. Even to get to 500 means you got to go 10-6 and in those middle 16 games with the hole that they've already dug themselves in. That means no chances of losing the games against the Penn State on the road. you got to take care of business against the Minnesotas and the Marylands and Nebraskas of the world. Their wiggle room that they might have had, it's kind of dissipated here with the, the two losses that they have and how the schedule breaks down at the end. Well, you talked about being a bubble team. The only way we're a bubble team is Keegan Murray's got to get back to being healthy, too. Yeah. I mean, this break comes at a really good time. He obviously was, was not 100% healthy, and he's got to get his confidence back. I mean, when he plays with that swagger and, and you know, does all the little things, he is as good a player as we've seen at Iowa. But the last couple games, he just hasn't had that swagger. Illinois struggled, and Iowa State, he was really, really off. He, he needs to get fully healthy and, and back to being uh, the Keegan we – we saw early in the year. If he can do that, we're a bubble team. If he can't, if he's hurt the rest of the year, then we're we're, we're, a, we're an NIT team at best. That's where we are. Biz, bowl games maybe uh, next week. I am not prepared at all for the bowl games, though. I did make a bet right away, and the lines came out at Circus Sports. I, I fired right away at Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, my philosophy on bowl games is always who wants to be there more, and Kentucky certainly seems like they probably want to be there more th- than we do. But, uh, 
you know, it, it's bowl games are always hard to pick. The one game I will pick, Trent, before because uh, we may not. I don't know if we're getting together next week when we do it again, but the one lock of the bowl season is uh, Army over Missouri. Uh, Army getting three, Army's always a lock in the bowl season, but especially against the Missouri team that uh, can't stop anyone defensively. Uh, yeah. Army may have the ball for 48 minutes in that game. So uh, that, that's my, my one my one pick and one lock, which means Missouri will probably beat them outright. That's probably what's going to happen. I saw the exact same thing. You talk about matchups, too. Uh, matchups dictate fights, and that is not a good fight for the Tigers. Biz, fun stuff as always. Let's roll out of here with Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. Biz's Beat's a simple one this year, Trent. Uh, we talked about it a, a little bit before, but... Uh, Another great year to be a Hawkeye. I think there's a million things to be positive about going into 2022. Um, you know, my New Year's resolution as, as a Hawkeye fan is to continue to be uh, to be positive and look at look at the positives of Iowa, Iowa football and Iowa basketball. I, I know it's uh, it's always easy to, to look at the frustrations of you know what we don't have in football and what we don't have in basketball. But the fact of the matter is, this was a really really fun year to be a Hawkeye and. Uh, I think uh, 2022 can be another fun year coming up. Uh, so, uh, as always, Trent, it's, it's uh, great to be a Hawkeye. Fizz, basketball on Saturday. We will talk about that one. Hopefully we'll find some time next week. If not, before to our listeners, thanks for joining us as always. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.